Welcome to the podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse Tabernacle. You can find out more about our church at lighthouseofmaslin.com or join us for worship Sundays at 11. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. of Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18 I almost preached this morning on what would Jesus do but I can't get those weird bracelets people wore back in the 90's that said that out of my head how many of you read the news read it? Nobody's reading the news here. That might be good. (laughs) I read the news probably a little more than I ought to. And uh, it's depressing. But for a different set of reasons than you think. It's depressing to me because everywhere you turn the economy today It seems like it's based in hate and despair and fear. And whatever group they can convince you to hate more than that group hates you, then they get enough votes or enough followers or enough people subscribing. And there's no thought about what happens to all the people that aren't voted on or don't run a company, they forget about all the effects that it has. And you read every day of more gruesome and gruesome hate, more gruesome and more gruesome acts of just pure vileness. That hasn't happened in a long time. It used to be because we were located on the grid that happened about every service, but that hasn't happened in a long while. read of crimes of kids against parents, parents against their kids, neighbors against neighbors. It's everywhere. And you have to have the right mindset if you're going to deal with it in your own life and if you're going to be able to be a light for Jesus Christ. And the more and more I think about it, the more and more I realize what recipients of mercy we are. We serve a merciful God who looks through merciful eyes and reaches out with merciful hands and he needs a merciful body that reaches out to hurting and confused people with that same mercy that we receive. I'm reading Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. 
my shirts do fit. I unbuckle them every service because I have an abnormally large Adam's apple. Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come, now let us reason together. Let's talk about it. Saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. No matter how deep the stain may go, we have rules of all our Sunday school classes. They're not allowed to serve any red drinks because wherever red punch or juice or pop is served, the carpet is stained. So it doesn't matter how deep that stain may have penetrated. There's something that can wash it white as wool. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. What a statement. It is the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The prophet said, I have hope. Because I realize we haven't been destroyed because his mercies. Just because of his mercies and his compassion. And they are fresh every morning. I want to talk to you this morning about the subject. It was and it is the mercy of God. Let's pray together one more time. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we worship your mighty name. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. <coughs> we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You may be seated. The biblical words translated as mercy in the Old Testament relay a concept of a steadfast love or a loving kindness. He's kind to us because he loves us. When we get over to the New Testament, we went from the Hebrew words to Greek words. When we get over to the New Testament, the words have a meaning of compassion. And this is where we get our modern understanding of the term mercy. It's more than just generic love. It is love and compassion that come from a place of strength. He has the power to inflict judgment. He has the right to inflict judgment. But in his love, in his compassion, something called mercy happens. Webster's defines it this way. You can put it up. Mercy is the compassion or forbearance shown especially 
to an offender or to one subject to one's power. Mercy is the result of someone else having the power to punish and choosing not to punish, but to show lenience or compassion towards that person. That's why you hear people ask the police for mercy when they were speeding when they shouldn't have been. That's why you hear people standing before a judge in a courtroom and asking that the judge or the jury would find mercy in their hearts. Yes, you have the power to punish. Yes, you have the right to punish. But I'm asking you for mercy to show kindness and love and not do what you have the right to do. Mercy is the result of me being in a position where I should be punished, where I should be judged, where I should be cast aside, where there shouldn't be any hope, where there shouldn't be any love, but mercy steps in the scene and mercy says, no, you don't deserve it. No, you don't have a right to it. No, you should be punished, but I'm going to show you love where you don't deserve to have love. I'm going to show you compassion where you don't deserve compassion. Mercy, I shouldn't be here today, but the mercy of God. I look around this room and I see folks that shouldn't be here today, but there was the mercy of God that God involved. Oh, he had every right to punish. He had every right to cast aside. He had every right to say you had enough chances, but the mercy of God reached out again and again and again. And I'm standing here today because of the mercy of God. His mercy starts at the very beginning of the book. God plants a garden in Eden. It's not a little cottage garden either. There's four rivers in that garden. It's most likely thousands of square miles. In it are hundreds of thousands of trees, if not millions. And it's only trees that bear fruit or are real pretty to look at. Roses don't have thorns. Bees don't have stingers. The lion and the lamb cuddle up at night. It is perfection. It is paradise. And there's only one rule in God's garden. Look around. As far as you can see in any direction or every tree that you could ever want to eat of, my only rule is you don't eat of this one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one rule. Every other tree is yours. Just don't eat of this tree. You see, everybody focuses, and that's just Satan's trick that he convinces. Satan pointed out, oh, God said you can't eat of this tree. Yeah, he said you can't eat of that. He said, but he did say you could eat of all these other millions of trees. (laughs) But with only one rule to follow, people have been people from the very beginning. 
only one rule to follow. I'd like to think that if I'd been there, I'd have built a fence around it, then I dug a moat, then I built a fence around the moat, and then I dug another moat, and then I built a fence around that moat, and so on, and so on. I'd have piled up rocks. I'd have sharpened sticks. I'd have done everything in my power to make sure I didn't accidentally bump into the tree. I'd have been jamming my pockets with the tree of life fruit, though. I'd have been drying it. I'd have tree of life raisins, tree of life fruit snacks, tree of life smoothies, tree of life pies. You name it, I'd have been eating it. Even if I got kicked out, I'd live for a million years. But with only one rule to follow, Adam and Eve still failed. Still managed to sin. Still managed to fall short. And then there's God's law. He told them, if you eat of this tree called the tree of life, you will live forever. But if you eat of the one tree, just this one tree is the only one I'm asking you not to eat of. The day you eat that tree, you will die. That's the law of God. He put the tree there because he loves us and he wanted us to have a choice. And he made the choice so easy. But they chose wrong. And now they're standing before God. And the law of God, the righteousness of God, demands that they must die. That's what the law demanded. That's what his righteousness demanded. That's what his holiness demanded. That they must die. But there was this thing that erupted out of God that we call mercy. And it said, yes, you're supposed to die. But I'm going to make a way. And so you don't have to die. I'm going to die for you. You should die. But I'm going to die in your place. You see, God in his perfection and in his righteousness cannot be in relationship with sin. And the sin of mankind keeps us from God. That's why when you sin, you don't want to pray. It's the same thing. That's why they hid in the garden. It's a gulf between us and him. The righteousness of God says the law must be kept. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. The cost, the price tag on sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the mercy of God, his righteousness says you have to die, but his mercy says I have a plan to save you. Revelation Chapter 13, verse 8 says this, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew that they were going to foul up. And so he already had a plan in place. When they mess up, This is the backup plan. The debt must be paid 
The bill cannot be ignored. Someone must die for what has happened. But the lamb says, I'll die in your place. It was the mercy of God from the very beginning that saved mankind from his own destructive ways. And for thousands of years, a few men here and there walked as best they could. But then comes the day. Then comes the day that the Israelite slaves are freed from Egypt. And now there's millions of them. And God gives them the law. Rules they must obey to keep them in some sort of relationship with him. The laws are written on stone. 613 laws and 10 commandments. Break one was to bring death upon you. Break one law and death was the sentence. 613 laws and you mess up once. And death was the punishment. And the rules are placed in this beautiful box called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of that golden box was the list of all the ways that a man or a woman could lose out with God and be damned. Inside of the Ark, was the law of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. That's what was inside of the box. But that picture you see in the right-hand side is not one piece of furniture. It's two pieces of furniture. We always think of them as one piece because we've all watched Indiana Jones. But it's not one piece of furniture. It's two pieces The box on the bottom is the Ark of the Covenant. It's the box that contains the law, the contract. That's what covenant means. But above the Ark is another piece. That's those angels with their wings spread out. And that is called the mercy seat. It's two separate pieces. The law of God. In the throne of God. And his throne is called a mercy seat. It's remarkable to me. It's not a judgment seat. It's a mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would step into a place called the Holy of Holies. The sanctum. And when he stepped in there with that little container of blood and he dipped his finger in the blood and began to throw the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the blood had to go down the mercy seat and run over the mercy seat to get to the law of God. Why does that matter? Why do we need to know this? And why am I taking so much time to talk about it this morning? Because above the law of God, above the righteousness of God, above all the way a man can sin and be damned to hell, above all of 
mercy, a place of grace, a place of forgiveness. It's the mercy of God that spares the soul. Yes, God has rules. Yes, there are requirements. Yes, it matters how you live. There's all groups of people that say none of that matters, and that just does away with the mercy of God. It matters. There are rules. There are requirements. We are to be followers of Christ. And if I'm following Jesus, it means I don't get to go everywhere I want to go or do everything that I want to do. I'm following after him. Yes, there are rules, and yes, it matters how we live. But when we fall, and you will fall, and you have fallen, when you mess up, and you will mess up, and you have messed up, and to say you haven't, the scripture says you're a liar. When you come short, and you have come short, and you will come short, you say, well, I won't do that. Yeah, you let one guy sit at the traffic light when it turns green and he's playing on his phone. When we fall, when we mess up, when we come short, there is something that sits above the law. It is and it was the mercy of God. It wasn't just a fancy top. It was a throne. And it was a throne of mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave them hope in the garden all those thousands of years ago. It was the mercy of God that saved men and women throughout the Bible. It was the mercy of God that forgave Abraham when he lied about Sarah. It was the mercy of God that forgave him again when he lost his faith. The father of all who have faith, that's what he's called. And yet he lost faith and went into Egypt. And he lost faith and sired Ishmael. But it was the mercy of God that brought forgiveness and course correction to Abraham's life. It was the mercy of God that took a Canaanite prostitute named Rahab and added her into the family tree of Jesus. It was the mercy of God that took the child of David and Bathsheba and made him king. And a blood heir. Right in the bloodline of Jesus is Solomon. It was the mercy of God that forgave David when he lost his faith and counted the people. It was the mercy of God that forgave Peter when he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times he denied that he ever even knew him. It was the mercy of God that restored Peter and used his life to change the world. It was the mercy of God that forgave a thief on a cross as he reached out with his last breath and just said, please, don't forget about me. It was the mercy of God that took a racist, murdering blasphemer named Saul and turned him into the great apostle Paul. It is the mercy of God that washes away the darkest sin. 
It is the mercy of God that can put back together the most broken life. It is the mercy of God that makes a saint out of a sinner. The mercy of God is what saves a soul and washes a heart clean. The mercy of God caused him to look down on the world he created so full of pain and sorrow. Not the way he designed it to be, a broken, fallen world. And become one of us. It was the mercy of God that he wrapped himself in human flesh and lived with us and as one of us. Not in luxury, but in poverty for 33 and a half years. It was the mercy of God that led Jesus to the cross. It was the mercy of God that he let them, let them beat him until his face was swollen past recognition. It was the mercy of God that withstood the whip. It was the mercy of God that endured the crown of thorns. It was not nails that held him to the cross, but it was mercy that held him to the cross. And even in his dying breath, his mercy caused him to cry out over the very ones torturing him. The very ones who beat him and whipped him and tortured him with his last breath in that human body, he said, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Look at this book. Read through its pages. It's all by the mercy of God. Look in the mirror. Look around you in this room. It's not by works. It's not by your own righteousness. It's by the mercy of a great and loving God. Nobody got here on their own. I heard a preacher say, and I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but he said something so profound. He said, God doesn't have grandkids. You don't get into the kingdom by inheritance. But everyone must seek out their own salvation. Everyone must come to the throne of grace. Everyone must stand before God. And if you look around this room... The only way anyone can live for Jesus is by his great and infinite mercy. It was the mercy of God that looked past all of my sins and washed me in his blood. It was the mercy of God that saved me from depression and fear and it was the mercy of God that picked me up every time I fell. It was the mercy of God that saw past my insecurities and decided he could use my life anyways. It's the mercy of God that I stand before you today. It's the mercy of God everything that I have. It's the mercy of God that you're in this room and if you will get your mind to understand that you won't be affected the same way when you see the hate in this world you won't respond with hate to hate you won't respond to sin 
by hating the sinner. But you'll begin to reach out with loving, patient arms, understanding that you are a recipient of his mercy. And you'll learn to share that mercy with others. Mercy. Mercy. When you want to get mad at someone for the way they're living or the things they're doing, instead of getting mad, why don't you think about all the mercy God has showed you and then reach out to them with his life-changing love and message. God's mercy and his love are for everybody. For everybody. For everybody. mercy I sat in a meeting with a wise elder and he said whenever there's room for a little mercy if there's just even a a little space to show mercy we should always show mercy if you can find a place to squeeze it in edgewise show mercy show mercy show mercy why Because we're recipients of mercy. Maybe you're holier than I am. Maybe you weren't as damaged as I was. But I know this. I sit in my office and I'm always reminded of the same thing. I've been shown a lot of mercy. I've been shown a lot of mercy. And I want to share as much mercy as I can. His mercy still works. His grace is still available. But you see, there's a few famous TV preachers and they say nothing matters and you can do what you want as long as you keep sending money in. (laughs) And so we respond by going too far. But last time I checked, Psalms 136 is still in the book. And for 26 verses, the same thing is said over and over again. His mercy endureth forever. Verse 2, his mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, his mercy endureth forever. For 26 beautiful refrains, the answer is always the same. His mercy endureth forever. But you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. Some of you think you don't know what I did. And you don't know what I've said. His mercy endureth forever. It's there. It's available. If you'll respond to it, he'll give you a fresh batch this morning. When you're meeting with with people in the store, in the restaurant, and you know There's such a big divide between you and them by lifestyle choice. Remember, his mercy endures forever. Jesus 
sending them out. Sending out the first group. going to be the first time that they go out by themselves. The very first time that Jesus is not going to be with them. He said, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. That's where the miracles are. That's where the power is. Freely you received. So freely you give. Jesus wants to heal them the way he wanted to heal you. Jesus wants to forgive the way he wanted to forgive you. Freely you have received, so freely you have to give. His mercy endures forever. And if ever we lived in a day If ever there was a day in which people needed the mercy of God, it is today. If ever there was a time that God's people needed to be a beacon of mercy, grace, and forgiveness, it's this day that we live in. This day filled with hate and lies and partisan groups. This day where everyone is being pitted against everyone else and fear is the commodity and hate is the commodity in which it seems everybody seems to be dealing in. There needs to be a people who have been the free recipients of mercy and grace echoing out that mercy and grace to everyone else they meet. Freely you have received, so freely you must give. Stand with me. I want you to lift your hands and your voices with me across this place. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. I have not had a speeding ticket in almost 18 years. I had a lot before that. Imagine if there was a judge who had the power 
take your life for you. But that judge had a plan. And if you asked him for mercy, if you asked him to forgive, said, I'm never going to do it again. And that judge, every time, would say it's forgiven. That's what repentance is. We stand before the righteous, all-powerful judge. In his hand is the power to send us to hell. But if we will repent before him, Jesus, I've been doing my own thing. I've been going my own way. I didn't do what was right. But I'm sorry. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to live for you. It's called repentance. And Peter preached to those that were the very ones, the very ones that had screamed out, crucify, crucify, just a short time earlier. The very ones. He preached them into hell. Went through it all and said, you're the ones that killed him. Preached them into conviction and condemnation. And they cried out, men, brethren, what must we do? And the very ones that yelled for Jesus' crucifixion heard the words of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you. You see, it's a promise. It works. And to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That mercy is still here today. Maybe you didn't yell crucify, but you know where your sins lie. What do you do? Just what Peter said, repent. Repent means I'm going this way, doing my own thing, doing what I want. Repentance means I'm going to do it God's way now. I turned around. A sorrowful turning. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm going to be different from now on. Get baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. It's so easy. You don't even have to do the last two steps in order. You can get the Holy Ghost before you're baptized in Jesus' name. Receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How do you know if you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because you will speak in a language you didn't learn. You say, that's weird. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> How does it work? No idea. 
But the scripture says the spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. James told us that the tongue is the most unruly member of our body. The hardest thing to control is your mouth. And when you surrender to Jesus, Jesus literally takes over your speech and all the things you don't know how to say. All the hurt, all the pain, all the hopes, all the dreams, all the disappointment, all the things that there aren't words in the English language to say, Jesus speaks for you and prays for you. What if you've messed up since you've received the Holy Ghost? John told us what to do. John said, we have an advocate with our Father. We've got a lawyer. Jesus Christ, the high priest. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive our sins. That mercy takes a little bit more blood and washes us clean one more time. Washes us clean one mercy is available to you today whatever state you may be in that mercy is here it's here for you it's here for me if you just want to be a conduit of that mercy this altar is open I've been asking the Lord, I don't want to see people the way he sees people, or the way I, humans see people. I want to see people the way he sees people. Because he looks past the damage, past the sin, past the mistakes, and sees what a person can be if they will give themselves to him. What can be they will reach out for that mercy that he's made available. Let's lift our hands and our voices to the Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Jesus, we love you, Lord. 